0: Book three, chapter seven of *Under the Witch's Moon*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. *Under the Witch's Moon* by Nathan Galazier. Book three, chapter seven, a bower of Eden. After some hours of much needed rest, Tristan started out to find the monk of Cluny. The task he had set himself was not one easy of execution since the benedictine friar was wont to visit the roman sanctuaries following the promptings of the spirit without adhering to a definite routine. Thus the greater part of the day was consumed in a futile quest of him whose counsel he stood sorely in need. At the hour of sunset Tristan set anew upon his quest. His feet carried him to a remote region of the city, and when he regained his bearings he found himself before the convent of santa maria del priorata with its environing groves of oleander and almond trees the moon was floating like a huge pearl of silver through vast seas of blue the sleeping flowers were closed like half-extinguished censers breathing faint incense on the night's pale brow from some dark bough a nightingale was shaking down a flood of song the fountains from their stone basins leaped moonward in the passion of their love and seemed to fall sobbing back to earth the night air breathed hot and languorous across the gardens of the pincian mount lutes tinkled here and there and the magic of the night thrilled tristan's soul as in a trance his gaze followed the white figure that was moving noiselessly down a moss-grown path a thick hedge of laurel concealed her now then she paused as if she too were enraptured by the magic of the night. The moon illumined the central lawn and the whispering fountains. Tall cypresses seemed to intensify the shade. In the distance he could faintly discern the white balustrade, crowning a terrace where green alleys wound obscurely beneath the canopy of darkest oak, and moss and violet made their softest bed. In the very centre of it was a small domed temple, a shrine to love. Tristan's senses began to swoon. Was it a hallucination? Was it reality? A moon-maiden, she seemed, made mortal for a night to teach all comers love in the sacred grove. "'Helaine! Helene, his voice sounded strange to his own ears. As in a dream he saw her come towards him. She came so silent and so pale in the spectral light that he feared lest it was the spectre of his mind that came to meet him. And once more the voice cried, "Helene!" And then they lay in each other's arms. All her reluctance, all her doubts, seemed to have flown at the sound of her name from his lips. Helene, Helene, He whispered deliriously, kissing her eyes, her hair, her sweet lips, and folding her so close to him, as if he would never again part from her, he loved better than life. "'At last I have found you. How came you here? Speak!' is it indeed yourself, or is it some mocking spirit that has borrowed your form?" And again he kissed her, and their eyes held silent Commune. "'It is I who have just refound you,' she whispered, as he looked enraptured into the sweet girlish face, the face that had not changed since he had left Avalon, though she seemed to have become more womanly, and in her eyes lay a pathetic sorrow. What a rapture there was in that clear tone! but she trembled as she spoke would he understand, would he believe? But why, why are you here? he stammered. I have sought you long. You have followed me? You are not then a nun? You see I am not. But why, oh, why have you done this thing? She made no answer. You are here in Rome, and he is here. And you did not know? I knew, she replied with a little nod, like a questioned child. You knew, and he believes that I knew that is a small matter dear for he knows that you knew not the endearment startled him it seemed to cast her faith upon him what are you doing here he said i came because i had to come i had no choice no choice then why did you send me away she gave a little shrug i knew not how much i loved you and yet, dearest, you cannot remain here. You know his moods better than any one else, and you know if he finds us. For your own sake, dearest, you cannot remain." In the warmth of his entreaty he had used as endearing words as she. They were precious to her ears. "'Let him come,' she said, nestling close to him. "'Let him come and kill me.' She glanced about. He pointed to the castellated building that rose darkly beyond the Holm Oaks. "'Yonder—is yonder your abode?' He stammered. Suddenly the woman in her gained the mastery. Oh, no, 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 let us hide—wretch that I am to risk your life with mine. She had flung herself upon him. Around them rioted roses in wild profusion. To him it seemed like a basket of Eden. Upon his breast she sobbed, but no consideration of past or present could restrain his hand from gently soothing her silken hair. Oh, why did you leave me? she cried. Why could we not have loved without all this? Surely two souls can love—if love they must—without doing wrongs to any one!" His arms stole about her. "'Speak to me! speak to me! speak to me!' she whispered with upturned face. "'Had I known this would happen, I should have known that I did foolishly,' he replied. "'You should have known, dearest. You thought to kill our love by cutting it to earth. You have but made its roots grow deeper down into the present and the future." She nodded dreamily. "'Perchance you speak truth,' she said. You see me here by your side, having crossed leagues and leagues, to seek your soul—my home—my only home for ever. And as surely as the bee goes back to its one hallowed oak have I refound you, and as surely as the ocean knows that every breath of vapour lifted from its face shall some day come back to its breast. SO SURELY DID YOU KNOW THAT YOUR LOVE MUST RETURN TO YOU. UNLESS, HE SAID, IT SINKS INTO THE UNSEEN SPRINGS THAT ARE SO DEEP THAT THEY ARE LOST FROM SIGHT FOREVER. LOST, NOTHING IS LOST, THE DEEPEST WATER SHALL BREAK OUT SOME DAY AND REACH THE LAKE, THE RIVER, THEN WHY NOT NOW? I AM ONE WHO CANNOT WAIT FOR ETERNITY, AND YET ETERNITY, I FEAR, IS WAITING FOR US. THERE WAS A DEEP SILENCE, LASTING a pace ah i know she said at last i know i ought to think as you do i should be conscience-stricken now as i was then i should be glad that you left me but i am not i am not i am here dearest to ask you if you love me still love you he replied in a transport holding her close while he covered her eyes and her upturned face with kisses i love you as never woman was loved as the night loves the dew in the cups of the upturned flowers as the nightingale loves the dream that weaves its phantom-webs about her bowers. I love you above everything in heaven or on earth. You knew the answer, dearest. Why did you ask?" "'I see it in your eyes. You love me still,' she crooned, her beautiful white arms about his neck. Notwithstanding, he started. And yet, after the scene she had witnessed on that night, her doubts were but too well founded, yet she had not queried before. "'Strange fortunes crossed my path since I came here,' he said. "'Ambition, lured; I followed, as one who lost his way. "'Would you have had me do otherwise?' "'In his eyes she read the truth, "'yet the shadow of that other woman "'had come between them as a phantom. "'Oh, no, although I never thought "'that you were made for statecraft. "'I am in the service of the senator, "'and the senator of Rome is her foe. "'And you? I am his servant.' she laughed nervously. I never thought you would come to this, my love. Nor ever should I have thought so. But fate is strange. The Holy Father is imprisoned in the Lateran. To Him I wended my way. But the only service I did Him was to prevent His escape, unwittingly. I visited the sanctuaries. But though prayers hovered on my lips, repentance was not in my heart. And then it came to pass. And I feel like one born in a bark that has neither sail nor rudder. And if, instead of being far floated to these Roman shores, I am headed for a port where all is security and peace, can I prevent it? I am borne on. I close my eyes and try to think that Fate has intended it for my good. For your good, she said bitterly, for yours no less perchance. How so, dearest? What good can come to me from your soul's security? To me who believe our love is rightful? and yet you sent me from you, into darkness, loneliness, despair." She stroked his hair. It was fear as well as conscience that prompted. You once said that all things are right, that may not be escaped. You said that if God was at the back of all things, all things were pure. I know I said it. But what I meant I know not now. I saw things strangely then. THERE WERE DAYS WHEN I TOO LOST MY VISION, SHE SAID SOFTLY, WHEN I SAID TO MYSELF, THERE IS TRUTH AND TRUTH, THE HIGHER AND THE LOWER. IT WAS THE HIGHER, IF YOU LIKE TO CALL IT SO, TRISTAN, THAT PROMPTED THE DEED. SINCE THEN I HAVE COME DOWN TO EARTH, AND THE LOWER TRUTH, MORE FIT FOR BEINGS OF CLAY, PROCLAIMS MY PRESENCE HERE. WHAT WILL YOU DO? HE queried ANXIOUSLY. I KNOW NOT. I KNOW NOT. I CAME HERE TO BE WITH YOU without ever a thought of meeting him again whom I have wronged. If wronged, indeed, I have. He has vowed to kill you. Oh, to what a pass have I brought you, my love, my love! Let us fly from Rome. Let us leave this city. He will never know. And as for me, he but loves me because I am fair to look upon, and lovable in the eyes of another. What I have suffered in the silence, in the darkness, you will never know. You shall take me with you. Anywhere will I go. So we shake the dust of this city from our feet." She leapt at him again, and flung her arms about his neck, her face upturned. He had neither will nor power to release himself. He scarcely had the strength to speak the words which he knew would stab her to the heart. Even ere he spoke she fell away from him, as if she had read his mind. "'So you persuaded him of your repentance,' she cried. "'You are friends over the body of your murdered love, and I, who gave all, am left alone, the foe of either." It was nobly done. He stared at her, as if he thought she had gone mad. "'Listen, Helene,' he urged, taking her hands in his, in the endeavour to soothe her, "'what spirit of evil has whispered this madness into your ears? Even just now, you said, he has sworn to kill me. How could there be reconciliation between Roger de Laval and myself, who love his wife?' "'Then what is it?' she queried her eyes upon his lips, as if she were waiting sentence to be pronounced upon her. "'I am the senator's man.' The words fell upon her ears like the knell of doom. "'He will release you. I will go to him, if your pride is greater than your love.' She was all woman now, deaf to reason and entreaty, thinking of nothing but her great love of him. He drew her down beside him on the marble seat. "'Listen, Hélène. You do not understand. You wrong me cruelly. Nought is there in this world that I would not do to make you happy, you whose love and happiness are my one concern while life endures. But this thing may not be. The Senator of Rome is away on a pilgrimage. He has chosen me to watch over this city till his return. Danger lurks about me in every guise. Its nature I know not, but I do know that there is some dark power at work plotting evil. There is one I do not trust—the Lord Basil." Helene gave a start. The bosom friend, so it would seem, of the Count Laval?" The colour had left Tristan's face. "'You have met?' "'He appears to have taken a great liking to my lord. Almost daily does he call, and they seem to have some secret matter between them.' Tristan gripped Helene's hand so fiercely that she hardly suppressed an outcry. "'Have you surprised any utterance?' "'Only a name.' They thought I was out of earshot. "'What name?' "'Theodora.' She watched him narrowly as she spoke the word. He gave a start. "'Theodora,' Helene repeated slowly, "'she who saved your life when my poor efforts failed.' There was a tinge of bitterness in her tone which did not escape Tristan's ear. Ere he could make reply, she followed it up with the question, "'What is there between you and her?' "'For aught I know it is some strange whim of the woman. Call it infatuation, if you will,' he replied. "'which, though I have repelled her, still maintains. "'It was at her feast I first met the Lord Roger face to face. "'How came you there?' she questioned with pained voice. "'Tristan recounted the circumstances, "'concealing nothing from the time of his arrival in Rome "'to the present hour. Helene listened wearily, "'but the account he gave seemed rather to irritate "'than to reconcile her to him, "'who thus laid bare his heart before her. "'And so soon was I forgot?' she crooned. "'Never for a moment were you forgot, my Helene,' he replied with all the fervour of persuasion at his command. "'At all times have I loved you. At all times was your image enshrined in my heart. Theodora is all-powerful in Rome, as was Marozia before her. The magistrates, the officers of the senator's court, are her creatures, Basil no less than the rest. Would that the Lord Alberic returned!' for the burden he has placed upon my shoulders is exceeding heavy but you my Helene, what will you do i cannot bear the thought of knowing you with him who has wrecked your life your happiness in Helene's blue eyes there was a great pain why mind such trifles since you but think of yourself you do not understand he protested can i with honour abandon the trust which the senator has imposed what if the dreadful thing should happen what if sudden sedition should sweep his power into the night of oblivion? Could I stand face to face with him, should he ask, How have you kept your trust?" Steps were approaching on the greensword. Helene turned pale, and Tristan's arm closed about her, determined to defend her to the death against whosoever should dare intrude. Then it was as if some impalpable barrier had arisen between the man and the woman. It seemed the last hard malice of fate to have brought them so near to what was not to be. Hardly had Tristan drawn her throbbing bosom to his embrace, when a dark shadow fell athwart their path, and, looking up, he became aware of a forbidding form that stood hard by, wrapped in a black mantle that reached to his heels. From under a hood which was drawn over his face two beady eyes gleamed with smouldering fire, while the hooked nose gave the face the semblance of a bird of prey which illusion the cruel mouth did little to dispel helene too had seen this phantom of ill omen and was about to release herself from tristan's arms her face white as her robe when the speech of the intruder arrested her movement a message from the lady theodora a hot flash passed over tristan's face giving way to a deadly pallor as hesitating to take the proffered tablet he replied with ill-concealed vexation whom does the Lady Theodora honour by sending so ill-favoured a messenger? The cowled figure fixed his piercing eyes first upon Tristan, then upon Helene. The Lord Tristan will do well to pay heed to the summons, if he values that which lies nearest his heart. But ere he, for whom the message was intended, could take it, Helene had snatched it from the messenger, had broken the seal, and devoured its contents by the light of the moon which made the night as bright as day. Then, with a shrill laugh, she cast it at Tristan's feet, and, ere the latter could recover himself, both the woman and the messenger had gone, and he stood alone in the basket of roses, vainly calling the name of her who had left him without a word to his misery and despair. End of Book 3, Chapter 7